if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Welcome back to Horse Chats. We're going to talk to Catherine Crisley Shriver from Dharma Horse today. Um, if you haven't heard of any of the previous chats, please go back and listen. Go to horsechats.com, search for Catherine with a K or search for Dharma Horse and you'll go back and um, be able to listen to those chats. But before we get started, I'd just like to remind you that International Horse College supports safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. So if safety and horse welfare are important to you, then have a look at the flexible course options at internationalhorsecollege.com. Now, we're talking today with Catherine about how horses feel safe, and I think that's very important. Now, are you there, Catherine? Can you hear me okay? Yes, Glennis, yes, I'm yes. here and I hear you fine. I, I <laughs> think this is a very important topic. You know, we talk about horse welfare, and horse welfare is not just about you know, making sure they've got food and shelter and water, there's so much more about it than, you know, and horses and the way right. they feel. And for them to feel happy, they've got to feel safe. So it's a great topic. And I've got <laughs> some notes that you've given me, Catherine, you know, but, but I'm sure that you're going to be able to fill in because, you know, this is sort of your thing, you know, your thing about <laughs> making horses feel safe and horse welfare and yeah. rescuing horses and keeping them under some difficult circumstances as well. Um, so, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing with, with rescue horses. They come from such diverse backgrounds and have had so many experiences. Feeling safe is a priority and and that's directly related, you know, to how we treat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the surroundings, because horses are kept all over the world, right? So we can't say, oh, right, well, they've got to have, you know, lush paddocks and post and rail fences <laughs> and... Uh, you know, they've got to have this and they've got to have that. But there's more to surroundings than just the physical, I don't know, things that don't change. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about horses around the world, what can we do to make our surroundings, no matter what we've got, to make the horse feel safe within their surroundings? What can we do there? Right. It's, it's the thing that when we built our new facility that we were so cognizant of was that... Um, like the perimeter fence on around the property would be something that could keep small animals out, just even neighborhood dogs. But we have coyotes. Uh, we're in the high desert of New Mexico, and we wanted to make sure that we wouldn't have other animals in and out. And uh, we chose uh, just a mesh, uh, not welded, but a woven mesh that hoofs can't get through and that the small animals can't get through. And we put a strapping a, a tape of electric fence along the very top and that gives well to be honest that gives us a feeling of security on their behalf but also they recognize when something is kind of moving around outside of the property they have that recognition that that animal isn't going to get in and when they see that over and over and know that nothing is going to get to them then that gives them a a better sense of safety. They don't have to be on alert about that. You know, making facilities safe in that physical aspect, it's a whole nother subject. We could go on and on about that. But what you want is for the horse to have a situation where 
he doesn't have to be hypervigilant. He doesn't feel, he or she, I should say, doesn't feel the need to, to watch like a wild horse were for, would have to for predators and things like that. So just a little thought into the fence, which does not have to be super expensive and does not have to be posh, but something that gives them that safety in our concept of safety, gives them a feeling that they are secure, that they are going to be okay. There's a lot of things about their surroundings. Horses can hear. This is so cool. My friend, um, Barb Paulson, she has a company called Equine Audio and she provides sound systems and she provided for us. And she did a, a paper about how horses can hear up to three miles away. Glennis, horse, horses can hear three miles away. Their acute sense of hearing. And one of the things that helped me recognize all of that is providing the music with the sound system that we would play classical music and we would keep things, you know, very soothing for them. And I, I thought about how if someone has a radio in the barn, you know, and the radio is blasting loud and it's uh, kind of chaotic music, that's going to affect a horse. I think our awareness of our own taste in music, uh, whatever we want to listen to in the car, you know, when we're driving or, you know, at home and dance in the kitchen might be completely different feeling for the horse, we might find something, a different kind of music to play, you know, on his behalf, that, that the sounds around him, sometimes we have no control over the trains going by or the planes going by or traffic or, you know, any number of things or what the neighbors are playing. But if we can provide something soothing in their surroundings, you know, I, I sit out on our porch with the fountain that Mark had put up which is the, you know, the water trickling and, you know, the wind chimes with a really melodious sound. And these things relax me so much. And I think about how the aspects of daily life and the horse's perceptions of it, if we're not banging and screaming and doing things that are, you know, going to put them once again on alert, make them hypervigilant, if we're always having this soothing tone. Now, that being said, and I will have that perspective of um, the sanctuary horses, the horses that have been rescued. People who have show horses are going to want to expose them to things that, you know, clanging of, of the manure forks and dropping brushes and, you know, things that they're going to encounter. Of course, we can be bumbly and they, they don't need to overreact to that, to have a, a fear of that. But I'm talking about just sort of like how their daily life rolls out whether they're feeling like things are chaotic or things are soothing and that's what the surroundings are you know you can you can also like block scary things um we have two facilities and at one of them the neighbors have a dog that barks a lot and he'll run up and down the fence and what we did was we made a what are they called it's, it's a tarp kind of thing we made a, a fence that's that's solid the dog can't see through it. And because he's not triggered seeing the horses he's and seeing us walking around, the dogs aren't barking at them. And just those little things that add a touch of serenity to that horse's life, take away the things that are feeling threatening. That, that makes the surroundings so much better. And the horse can relax and feel safe. It starts there. It starts with that um, 
looking at the, the outside things, thinking of the world as around the horse as being kind of sacred. You want to make it a place where he no longer has to worry about his well-being, where he knows it's taken care of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I think we're the same. I think if, you know, if you start to think about um, retreats and places for people to just go and relax and have that serenity, it's it's the same. It's getting the close to nature and, the you know, just the wind, the waterfall noise and right, things like right. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they need sure. it too. They do, and especially a sanctuary yes. for horses who've been traumatised, right? Yep. That's exactly yep. what they need. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> Tell us about handling, you know, like we can have the horses out and have beautiful surroundings, but all horses are going to have to, you know, just for their own welfare, they're going to have to be handled. So tell us a bit about handling and how when we do handle horses, even those that have been traumatised, how we can make the horses feel safe within that handling. That's a, a big, big subject. Mm, it's a it big, it's almost one that it? we could do by ourselves, you right? know, just the handling, isn't it? But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that whole aspect of how we relate and how we approach the horse has so much to do with how we can feel safe in our presence. And, you know, we want to build confidence. And the way we can do that is to never be in a hurry. As soon as we want to rush through something, you know, our heartbeat will increase, you know, our, our pulse will increase, we'll be uh, tense, we'll hold our breath, do things that really will freak a horse out. We want to have the the quiet, confident way of working with them, and that makes them feel confident. And I said, you know, you're grooming and drop a brush. You don't want the horse to overreact. Oh, yes, go ahead. We need to teach them that we, you know, we can be bumbly and it's not an assault on them. And I think that clearly, if we never assault them, they won't think of something <laughs> that goes awry as being uh, terror-inspiring. Um, a horse needs to just feel that when we are in their presence, when we are connecting and touching and doing something with them, leading them in and out, that they can relax and go with us, that they will have the confidence from all the experiences that go on. We've talked about the horse has that well of experiences, and we just keep adding the positive drops to that. Um, you know, if there is something scary comes up, because you can never expose them to every possibility. We can show them, you know, bridges to cross and walk them through pool noodles and do all these kinds of things. But there will be something we never thought of that they will encounter or some sound or something that comes up. If we have brought them to a place where their confidence comes from connecting with us and that we are gonna see them through anything that's frightening, that they can look to us, I hesitate to use the word leader. I, I don't want you know to have them be a subject and we're leading, but what we are is the partner that shows the way. And if we've always been there for them, they will say, okay, I trust you and I will go with you. I say it's one of our mantras is um, for a horse to trust us, we have to be trustworthy. And that's that that daily handling day in, day out, night in, night out, every moment that we spend with them, if we are clear and we are honest and we are looking out for their well-being and we are, there's not subterfuge, there's not something underneath in our interactions where we have an agenda, where we're just 
fully present with that horse, they will see us as their safe place. And I want to be that safe place. I don't want the horse to, um, as some people say, don't you be scared of that. I'll give you something to be afraid of. I don't want him to think you're, you're more afraid of me than you are of the tiger. So do what I say. I want them to see the tiger and say, I'm frightened, mom. How do we get through this? And I say, I'll show you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 No, I like the way you've explained that. I think that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the shelter. What type of shelter? And again, uh, you know, we, we could probably talk forever about types of shelters, but it's not the type of shelter. It's the feeling that a horse gets with the shelter. And I think that's what we're really, you know, we're really looking at here. It's, it's the feeling that they need to feel safe. That they have a place. Um, you know, they, they need to be, to be able to find protection from the wind and the rain and the sun beating down on them. You know, they have to have the shade and the windbreak and they have to have the roof and, and the things. But if he has his own personal space and that's his, that's great. But if a horse lives in a herd, um, they need to have like a, personal place in that shelter and we work to really make that happen here at the sanctuary but where he can be you know by himself but he's still with the herd everybody can find their little pocket of safety and of course bonded pairs will go in together and you know horses that really want to to interact and be together will you know move around and and work within those shelters but they need to feel that they have that space and with the weather getting so unpredictable, we have found the strangest changes in our weather. It's, you know, we're kind of rethinking a lot of of things that we do because we've had flooding and we've had such well, winds and mm. suddenly we're in a drought and it just goes on. And we've been getting um, so cold some of these nights and everybody has a place to go to be able to capture their warmth and to be, to, to feel safe, no matter what the elements. And one of my kind of guidelines with that is you want to have at least one more pocket of shelter than you do the number of horses, because they will play musical chairs or, you know, musical shelter, and they'll go from one to another and nobody gets caught without some place to go. So you always have like, if it's a um, a big barn where everybody can fit in. It's good to maybe have a couple of walls where someone can get in and, and separate themselves a little if some of the herd's aggressive. But you don't want just one place like that. You want to have like several because then they have those choices. And another horse will give up on trying to push them around if they always have somewhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like for horses, your horse welfare, right? You think the horse has to have adequate food and water, you know, not so much yes. food that they're fat, but I want you to tell us a little bit about having food and water and how this relates to the horse feeling safe. Feeling safe, yeah. yes. And I guess I'm more sensitive about a lot of it because through these years, so many horses have come in that were starved. And I think that when they're, the basic needs are met, then the stress is reduced, they feel safer, and their metabolism changes, and they become the idea of the ulcers coming on, the things that are, are stress-based, those, those begin to abate because they're getting confident. Here it comes, I have got food. I'm not saying that we have to 
rigidly feed at seven in the morning and at seven at night and give something at, at noon, I think the most ideal way for a horse to feel secure is to have like a grass hay based diet. And I, you know, you'll always hear me saying hay because I live in the desert and we don't have pastures, but you have these, um, however you want to do it with the slow feed nets or you have you know, the piles around, or you put a big bale and take off all of the covering, you know, the netting or the mm-hmm. strings that are on it, but you have this access. And just like I was saying with the shelters, if you have a herd living together, you always put out more nets than the number of horses, more nets of hay, or you put out more piles of hay than the number of horses. I think that's an important one, isn't it? You know, and you watch the dynamics. You don't just put the feeds out because as soon as you put them out, one horse is going to say, I think I'll have some of yours, and then they move on and they move on. And and even within that, you've still got to watch, and you can't say, you know, enough plus one. You've got to watch the dynamics of it because you might need, you know, a herd of 10, you might end up needing, you know, three, four extras because that's just the dynamics and you may have to go a long way away yes. for a particular horse because they're too shy to go and feed with the others because they've been traumatised by, you know, by a more dominant horse. So, so yeah, I think that's an important one to have that extra, extra feed. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yeah, and if horses need individual feeds, then you bring them in, separate them and give them an individual feed. But if you're feeding them in a herd, yeah, they've got a plenty, plenty of choice. Yeah. Plenty of choices and yeah. and uh, stations with water because sometimes, yes. and, you know, we, the dynamic here is so funny because we have so many different horses and the ones that end up on the track system as a herd, there'll be one that has to shift out. We've made it so we can divide it into two track systems because Right at the moment, we have three very fat horses, and that happened with me thinking, let's keep them warm. You know, it's 17 degrees um, Fahrenheit and get lots of hay so that everybody stays warm. Well, we have some kind of, you know, air plants. We have some horses that really don't need a lot, and they were getting more, so we've divided it up. But within all of that, the stations for food and the stations for water we're, we're working to kind of mimic nature, which will reduce stress. If they kind of browse and forage and look around for stuff, they're emulating their ancestors, and that brings a kind of peace to them. Um, hard feeds and, you know, real high fat, high sugar feeds that aren't real natural to them, put in front of them while, while they're just standing somewhere. Um, 
these are the kind of things that create imbalances, not not just physically, it's not just the physical body, the emotional body suffers from it too, because you're providing something out of balance. And, you know, the world's so full of horses. I know uh, a horse that races, a horse that's jumping, a horse that, you know, is putting out so much energy has to have the energy put back in. And that giant net full of Bermuda hay or, um, orchard grass or timothy or any of that, it's not going to quite meet what is being used up. So you do have to balance it that way. But our horses live in a very natural sort of environment. And the only thing they do is they get some alfalfa, except for the ones that are on the fat track right now. Uh, they get some alfalfa to bring more you know, vitamins, that's like lucerne, and to bring more vitamins in. And it has a buffering effect you know, in the gut and things like that. It's a balancing act all the time. But if their needs are being met, if they have this this option of wandering around, that's a very natural thing to do and find their feed and, you know, wander to the water that's in another area. That helps them feel safe because they know it's there. And for some horses that were starved, um, and one of the fat horses, Luna, um, She's so bad now. It's because she was starved. She was starved nearly to death twice before she was three years old. And so she not only has this physical metabolism that's going to hang on to everything, she has this emotional need for food because she went without it so badly. And you take these things into consideration. And sometimes we fail. I let three horses get too fat, but you know, we're fixing it. We're working on it now and they're on tefe and we're making all these, these changes. But I think that recognition to be able to see what's going on and make the changes, not adhere to something rigid for every single horse. Glennis, while you, you want to know horses, you know, as a species and you know their needs and you know how they work, so to speak, you also have to see them and adjust to them as individuals because especially in this kind of situation, when you have a pony up to a draft horse off the track, thoroughbreds, mustangs, um, blind horses, all these different things, you're constantly looking at what could be done better or, you know, how have their needs changed? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very important point, you know, just the fact that horses are individuals, even, you know, riding them, training them, whatever you're doing with them, you you might have your set rules or your set procedures and everything else, but then you've got to say, but this horse doesn't like that or this horse, they're, um, they enjoy this or there's something right, that they right. prefer to do, you know, and, and if you're mm-hmm. going to actually be that horse's partner, you do right. have to know them and understand them. So very important <laughs> point, I think, yeah. Relationship, yep. it's about, yeah. yeah. It is, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking about that, the herd dynamics, you know, and I understand that that horses, you know, it's more natural to have them in a herd. But what happens, I mean, in, a, you know, thinking about school or work or whatever, you get some sort of situations where, you know, there's someone who's just constantly bullying someone else or, you know, what can we do to make it so that they enjoy being in the herd and they don't feel like they've got to remove themselves from the herd? Exactly. Horses need other horses around. And 
you know, ideally they're in a herd and they, they maybe create bonded pairs. They have, you know, or three or four horses that bond and are together. And there's a hierarchy and there'll always be, you know, someone who kind of is in charge and someone who backs off. But when there's a horse that is just overpowering, overwhelming the other horses, the thing to have, like we have fixed up, is a way to divide them safely, to divide them, but let them still see each other. A horse all by itself is, um, it's, they're a gregarious um, herd animals needing each other. They need to see other horses. If they can't actually be, we have Joe, the off-the-track thoroughbred, who is 30-some now, and he, even at this age, he will bully other horses so much, and he is food aggressive and all these things. He can't be with others, and we've resigned ourselves to that. We know that. And he is he is more comfortable by himself um, because it doesn't trigger all this kind of aggression that comes up in him. So he feels safe by himself, but only safe if he can see other horses. So, so you adapt that. And, you know, in the whole herd dynamic, you'll see things change. Um, we have what used to be, used to be a timid purebred Arabian mare. And she's like in her 20s. This is Dreamcat. And there was a point where she shrunk back and she was always, you know, kind of hanging back, watching what the others were doing, coming in when everybody sort of set their boundaries where they wanted to be. And as other horses came in, and this little colt that we brought in, all of a sudden, she's pushy. She has found horses that will go ahead and acquiesce to her. And she's loving it. And it's not. she's not doing it in a, a malicious way. She's doing it in a sassy, I'm feeling, you know, like I'm empowered again kind of way. And she hasn't been directly with this new colt. She's on the other side of the round yard fence. But she comes up and she tells him, get away. And he recognizes it and he gets away. And it's interesting to see her change in that way because it's just like people. Um, sometimes we're so suppressed for whatever reason that we lose our power. And then all of a sudden, as we begin to reclaim it, we feel so much better about ourselves. We just push it out there. And that's what she's doing. And there's a certain delight in that because there's nothing you know mean about her. But it's like she's back again. She's like feeling like herself again. You just, gosh, you got to stay really flexible with them so that you can do what's best for each one. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, we talk about the individuality of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that horses, you know, they get upset if they're moved, if something changes, they're, they're there and they're aware. So right. the consistency and the predictability that horses need you know, to make them. And I understand that, you know, someone goes to a new place. It's, there's times when no matter how much you want to be consistent and predictable that you can't. But what can we do to keep up that consistency and predictability, even in difficult circumstances? Right. If we can just just make that, th that consistency the default, certainly we go other ways when we have to, but we always turn to being as consistent as possible. And and what it really means is it's with our interactions. You know, nothing flusters a horse more than for us to be one way today and a different way tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, 
this kind of consistency that we need to have is like if you're leading him by a patch of grass and today you let him graze on it and then you take him on to wherever you're going. And the next day he goes to graze and you yank on him and yell at him. And he's thinking, what, <laughs> you know, what yep. did I do? Um, we, we need to have that predictability in the way we handle them so that they actually do understand. We don't just want them to listen to us. Of course, we want to listen to them. But if we don't have clarity in what we're putting forth, we we even make a block for them to try to communicate with us. They just shut down. And I'm always thinking when we're, we're interacting, we're doing things with them, let them know clearly what it is I want. Um, if, I, if I consistently show them what I want, uh, this new cult that we got in, we have a an orphaned Mustang. He was orphaned and his leg was broken when he was a month old. And he was rescued by another lady, and now he's come to sanctuary. And orphans have their own world, you know, anyway, and they relate to people differently. And this is kind of, he wants to play, you know, and he feels playful with people. And he's, he's eight months old now. And he has this little broken leg, so I feel it's all healed and long story on him. But, um... He's here, so he'll never be adopted out or ridden or anything like that. So I feel like protecting him. I have to keep him safe, but I have to establish boundaries, but you can't do it in an aggressive way. So my my default, my consistent thing when he wants to kind of reach over and you demand a treat or do something like that is I just hold my elbow out mm. and he bumps into my elbow. I don't, here's the difference, and this is really hard sometimes for people to, to grasp is that I don't whap my elbow up and hit him in the head with it. I just hold my elbow. So it's a buffer between like my face <laughs> and his face and he bumps into the elbow. And now he knows my elbow's there yeah. and he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to bump my elbow. Now, if I'd started hitting him or doing something aggressive toward him, then he would react. He would not want to be with me. He he might have fear. He wouldn't feel safe with me, all those things. But right now he just thinks, oh, she's got this extension that comes out from her chin and I can't, I can't get to her face to pick at her face. Um, I'm going to stop trying to pick at her face. It's that consistency with that, that brings an understanding to them, not any kind of brutality, establishing boundaries with just clarity. And then they feel safe because we're not something that's just going to change suddenly, you know, within the hour, within the day, within the week. We don't become some different person and they can depend on us. It's interesting because um, the horses really perceive our intentions. You know, our intention is everything. When we, we come to them with an attitude of dominance, they'll shrink away. But if we come to them with this this attitude of concern for their well-being, with you know genuine love for them, they feel all of that. And if we make a mistake, they're sort of like, okay, it's not that big a deal. I can apologize to a horse. And I genuinely know that they realize that was out of character. And they're cool. Now, Another one that's sort of similar and um, but along the same lines is never asking more of them than what they can handle. So in a physical sense, you know, we know 
how fit a horse is. You know, if we ask more than what they can handle physically, their their mm-hmm. respiration goes up, their pulse goes up, they, they're sweating, they get a little bit distressed or, or mm-hmm. you know, just physically you can do a lot. But what about making them feel safe? How can we recognise that we're anywhere near asking more of them than what they can handle? Truly. It's, it's kind of like finding the way to tell the horse, how the horse can tell you when he doesn't feel safe, mm-hmm. when we are pushing something or, and I have like this, this thing, I, I see horses when they don't feel safe, they freeze, they just freeze or they shrink back or they bolt to get away from it. And they can tell us really quickly. And we all know we round horses, we recognize that they tell us really quickly when they're not comfortable and I think that, like, the theme is to never put them in the place where they feel uncomfortable. And asking more than they're ready to handle, like, emotionally or physically, with this little colt. I am so careful because with his little leg, like it is, I and I support rapid when we turn him out. And he can gallop and stuff. We're really amazed by him, very much impressed by him. But there's no way on earth that he's going out in the herd with the other horses that are adults that are bigger than him. And, um, even though he's living, he's living with right now, a 30 plus year old gelding that is his mother. And Bodie is this gelding that has adopted and loves him and is very good. But the others he couldn't go out with, not only physically that they might cause him to step wrong or they might chase him and he'd run too hard or anything like that that would maybe be aggressive toward him. It's that he would be thrown into an emotionally overwhelming situation. This is more than he could handle. And just by my innate knowing of horses, I know that's that's not the right thing to do. But it's it's so logical. Do things in steps. You know, uh, thinking of it in a a kind of a physical way, if you're, and this is emotional too, of course, if you're jumping, say you're jumping two foot, three inch fences at home, you don't go to the show and jump two foot, nine inch fences. No, that's exactly you, right. Yeah. You go to the show and if anything, you jump the 18 inch or the two mm. foot three, you, you don't go and do more at the competition where you already have stress you know, on the horse and yourself, you don't go and do more than you were doing at home. You do less so that you feel perfectly prepared and the horse feels prepared and therefore he feels safe. Anything that pushes him beyond these, these limits that we should be able to perceive, but sometimes we don't, anything that pushes him beyond those limits, he starts to feel unsafe and he'll go into that like freeze or shrink or bolt, try to get away from something because we we put him into that fight or flight. Anytime they're really scared, that's where they are. And you know, you know, with a horse, they're not a fighter. They're they will flee. Yes, yes, that's and, their first response. You know, yeah, if, if they're starting to fight, then they've been under some pressure, haven't they? they they've been brought yeah. too far into the the fear place where, if they start to fight, they really think they're fighting for their life. They think they're going to die. And yes, and you know, when a horse feels safe, they respond. And when they feel unsafe, they react. And 
I don't, I don't mind when a horse responds and they're giving me, that's how I listen and I can understand they're responding to things and that teaches me so much. But when they're reacting, I'm, I'm pushing buttons or triggering something or creating a trigger. I'm creating something that as they react, I'm undoing all the good that I've done before that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You talked about, um, you know, you didn't want your little colt out with um, other horses that might be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And you've talked before about people. You know, you don't want people being aggressive. But is there anything else that you need to, I mean, you've talked a little bit about it, but anything else you need to say about no aggression to make horses feel mm. safe? Yeah, because, you know, energy and aggression are very different things. We can bring energy to a situation and we can inspire and uplift and even ask the horse a little more. Um, The energy itself is a good thing. It's when the energy is, is no longer assertive and directing and supporting, but the energy steps out of that and becomes aggression that we will terrorize a horse. They are within their body of herd life. They are normally, I understand what you're saying and I'll get away from you. I feel like you're in my space. I'm going to chase you away. They have a language with their ears and their posture and their eyes and the way they are with each other. Rarely is it aggressive. It's aggressive when there's some abhorrent thing like, you know, poor Joe, for some reason, gets aggressive about food. There's reason for it, but it's not acceptable with the other horses. We can't become aggressors around horses. We will undo every bit of confidence and trust they have in us because you know, what is it they say? Five minutes of anger can undo five years of training. Yep. Yep. It is the absolute truth. It doesn't take much. And things I see as aggressive, I have a horse here that I had to figure all of this out. He'd come in and he's very head shy. And I was watching and every time I would, I'd lift the rope up, put the halter on him, gentle and do all these things. And then I'll put the rope over my arm, not over my shoulder or around <laughs> my neck. Right. But I'll just set it over my arm. And every time the rope moved, he would jump. Mm. And I, you know and I'm saying? You know, sweetheart, I have, I've never hit you. I will never hit you. I can say that till I turn blue. What it took was this past year of having him for him to learn that I'm never going to hit him. Glenn, I saw the, the trainer, the person who trained this horse. Yep. This is the person who, whenever the horse would reach down to grab a bit of grass or something, would pop them in the head with the end of the lead rope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the second I saw that, I realized this is where it came from. Yep. I call that aggressive. I find that um, unacceptable in kind of training a horse. Um, that's just rude. And what you do is you don't take the horse and stand him over a patch of grass and, and expect them to not put their head down and try to eat it you got to think like a horse and realize that that's going to be tempting. My goodness, if I saw cupcakes, you know, sitting all over the place, I would really want a cupcake. And if someone popped me in the head because I wanted that cupcake, I'd be really upset with them. And he had the right to be upset. But what he needed was to learn that that's not something that I would do. It's my consistent, nonviolent handling and interacting with him that has taught him in this period of time 
that it's not going to happen and he's okay. And as long as that continues, we don't have that throwing the head away, getting worried stuff with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, you know, you talked about the little cult before and you're very aware yeah. of the horse's physical issues and, and making them safe with their physical issues. Anything mm-hmm. else that you'd like to say about that? Oh, my goodness. For for the horses to feel safe, it's like um, we have this. Last year, we, we rescued a, a blind, starved mare. Uh, her name is Gita. And she was dumped in the desert, starving. She was like a one on that scale. Wow. Zero to ten. Zero is wow. dead, right? She was, she was, we did not know if she would live. She's completely blind in one eye and mostly blind in the other. Well, for her to feel safe, we have, we built her a pin and it's, it's panels and none of it comes in at a corner toward her except one place. And we covered it with pool noodles so that it's soft. We tried this, the visor mask um, for her and um, the company that made it was so generous and donated one. And it, we kept it for a long time until she knew her boundaries. And now we just have a fly mask with these bulgy eyes to protect her eyes. She has to know that this is where she is all the time. She uses um, the sounds of where we are to tell, you know, when we're feeding. And she walks to her stall. She has just an open stall. There's no door to go through. It's, it's a three-sided shelter. And everything is made so the only thing that she could bump into is absolutely covered with pool noodles. <laughs> and what she has decided is that's the best place to scratch. <laughs> that she can just rub and rub on that all the time. And it's great. But without doing that, without that awareness of her physical needs, we could put her in situations where she would not feel safe. And the one thing, she will never have electric fence. How how awful that would be. She She will never have food in a, a way that she can't find it. Uh, she knows exactly where everything is and we never change where we put it. And that's that kind of awareness to keep to keep her feeling safe. And the consistency and the predictability that you talked about before. So it's all very much yes. interlinked, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it though? Yeah. And for each individual horse, because that's her need. Um, oh my goodness. This past few months, we had a horse with I never say it right, E-O-T-R-H, the tooth disease mm-hmm. where the the roots um, degradate and the calcium builds in. It starts pushing the roots apart and the horse is in excruciating pain. And I've never been through this, but we had to pull. I could not believe it. We had to pull all of the upper incisors. And this is Sweet Sage. He's a gelding in his 20s. And... It was left with these giant holes, these giant bloody holes. It was the most horrific experience for me. We kept his pain under control. I washed it out with colloidal silver three, four times a day. We got it all healed. And now there's just gums there. I don't know mm, how that happened. Mm, but it's, yep. but because of that, I can't put him in a situation where another horse would bump him in the mouth. Yes. And... He has to have hay that we shake up. Right now, we don't have to soak it because he still has molars. Mm-hmm. We have to shake out all his hay because he doesn't have the teeth to pull it up in his mouth. On and on, each individual adapting and supporting and staying consistent with them so that there won't be a moment where he feels unsafe. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. What about if they've got emotional issues? And I know that you said the old horse who's, you know, gets very aggressive at feed times. I know right. you've made him feel safe. Is there anyone else that you'd like to talk about? Oh, it, it's, it's amazing, Glennis, that the horses, they can have all these different backgrounds. Sometimes we don't know what happened to them. Sometimes we deduce it. Sometimes we never figure it out. But how they can come around and feel safe, even though they've had these kind of backgrounds. I told you about the horse where the guy's popping him in the head with the rope. Um, it's taken nine, 12 months of that not happening for him to feel confident and not kind of move his head when it ha- when you move the rope. But we had, we had sweet Damaru, the mare that had been a victim of horse tripping and her whole body was so beat up and she'd been starved and she was in such bad shape, but her emotional body had been so battered by the, the violence she suffered. Mm, mm. And yet she was only here a few days and she just by you know being safe being given deep bed to lie in being um finally allowed to get the rem sleep to be able to lie down and get proper sleep did she begin to relax and become so sweet and confident and come to you and never shirk you know like oh are you going to hurt me she changed in a matter of a few days they're so amazing how they can build that trust back. But when they have emotional issues, they'll have triggers. And for some reason, we never triggered her. But that lifting of the rope is what would trigger the gelding who would move his head away. And they have the triggers and the things that set them off or that worry them or make them feel unsafe because of past experiences. And the only way to get through that is to give them more positive than there were negative. And that can take time. You know, we talk about them as a species and we need to know them well as a species, but each individual has that their own well of experiences. And we've got to, I think even more than putting in the positive drops is to make ourselves aware so that we don't trigger the negative, that, that we don't remind them of all the negative drops of experiences that went in. Traumatized horses reactive for reason and you know it just depends on the severity of the trauma you know or how long or how often it was happening but as soon as they feel safe with us as soon as you know we just sort of meet all these basic needs and we are compassionate in our horsemanship and in a horse husbandry and this awareness is there and it's simple it's not a difficult thing to do it's just being aware of it, as soon as they feel safe, a whole new world opens up for them and then we are welcomed into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Catherine, you, you've talked, you've gone through and you've sort of given me some dot points and they all interlink, but you've just, you know, I think the work that you're doing at Dharma Horse, you know, if people want to contact you and find out a little bit more about the work you're doing, what's the best way? Mm-hmm. The way to get in touch to find all the ways to get in touch is with the website, which is www.dharmahorse.org, D-H-A-R-M-A, Dharma Horse. It's all run together, .org. And we just rebuilt the website because it had gotten real cluttered, and we wanted to give everybody to see all the new things that are going on. It's been a rough couple of years. It's been so strange, but we have not shirked our dreams and our 
um, responsibilities to this. So we have just kept building. And I'm proud of the new website, proud of all of our direction. The infirmary barn that we finally, we got the grant and got has been a godsend. You know, you, if you build it, they will come. As soon as we got the infirmary barn up, we needed it in several instances. And it's been miraculous. So that's another way of, you know, we needed to be able to isolate a horse to take care of them. They had hoof abscesses with all the flooding. And then we had the colt with the broken leg and Sage with his teeth being pulled. It's just been a miracle to be able to give each individual horse what they need and to make them safe, not just feel safe, but make them safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think on Facebook is it search for Dharma horse. Is that oh, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine, thank you again for, you know, taking the time to come and talk to us about horses feeling safe. And I think we all want the horses to feel safe, but sometimes yes. we're not really considering from the horse's point of view how they feel about being right. safe. You know, sometimes right. we just think, think this is okay. But, you know, you teach us about things from the horse's point of view, which is great. So thank you. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. This was my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, if you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 